a lot of times those decisions are made by the hippo, which is the highest paid person's opinion. And there is no data. I was working with a major apparel company who made a $15 million endorsement deal with a celebrity with zero data. Their daughter told them about it while they were driving them to school, the CMO, and they're like, oh, let's just do that. Guided by over 25 years in the data and research industry and assisting innovators with investment banking and advisory services, Seema Vasa brings you Data Gurus, a leading market research podcast that offers actionable insights for business acceleration and value creation. Join her as she speaks with key innovators in the space to bring you up to speed with the current state and the future of data analytics and data ecosystems. This is Data Gurus. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs, and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. I'm joined today by Matt Britton, who is the CEO and founder of Suzy. Welcome, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I was just commenting. It's hard to do this on a Monday when you have a long list of things that you want to try to get done. So I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. Absolutely. So listen, before we get started and dive into Suzy and all the cool stuff you guys are working on, I'd love just to give people a bit of background, how you got to this point. I know when I was talking to some of the people, you had old friends at the event from at your Suzy event not too long ago, and they were telling me, oh, I knew Matt back when, and I knew Matt back when. So you have definitely a very interesting background. I'd love for you to share that with folks. Sure. The beginnings of my career is really about helping big brands target college students and young adults. I was a nightclub promoter during college in Boston. And soon thereafter, started an agency called the Magma Group, which is really at the beginning of the dot-com bubble and it first service local businesses in the Boston area, helping them essentially get their logo and their brand and their coupons out in front of college students. I did even like a back-to-school welcome bag where I had a bag and all the local venues can put in their collateral and then I would hand it out to tens of thousands of freshmen throughout the Boston area. And then from there, I started to target a lot of the, the early dot-com companies like eBay and Lycos and Yahoo to give them a presence on college campuses. Ended up building a great business, but found out the hard way that all receivables aren't reliable because a lot of my clients were dot-com companies that had their funding pulled for them when the bubble burst. And I got my first lesson in the school of hard knock, so to speak. Sold the company, but it was really just about them assuming a lot of our debt. And I moved to New York and worked for a company for a couple of years before I started an agency called Mr. Youth in 2002, which would be a company I would then go out and run for about 14 years. So we named it MRY. It became one of the first social media marketing companies, built up to about 500 employees, and it was acquired by the Pillow Business Group in 2014. So that was my background. And before the agency was sold, I incubated software within the agency called CrowdTap, and I spun it out. So that didn't go along with the acquisition, and CrowdTap would one day actually become Suzy in 2017. The origins of Suzy actually date all the way back to an agency I founded now about 22 years ago. That's amazing. And CrowdTap, is, my understanding, is that a community of people? Yeah, it is now. So we invented CrowdTap. It was a B2B and B2C brand. It was an influence platform. When we made the pivot to Suzy, we kept the CrowdTap brand as our consumer product. That's where essentially our panel is. And then it's on top of that CrowdTap panel. It's 
Suzy, which is our enterprise market research software. Got it. And what year did you found Suzy? So Suzy was spun out and launched in 2017. Okay. All right. So you've been doing this for a while and it feels as if you've been taking the market by storm. I hear so much about what you guys are doing. Obviously there's competitors in the same space, but Suzy continuously takes up a lot of mindshare. So give me a little bit of an idea of what is the pain point that Suzy serves in the MR community? Well, it's interesting because I didn't come from the market research industry, but I did work with CMOs and brand managers and business decision makers for 15 years while I was running my agency. And I think that's both a blessing and a curse and still is today. It's a blessing in that I was able to see through all the market research jargon and really understand the problem that needed to be solved, which is businesses were not making decisions based upon the input of consumers. They were making it myopically from the boardrooms versus listening to what the consumers were saying in the sidewalks. It was a curse in that when we launched Suzy, which is the market research tool, I wasn't really knowledgeable about all the market research functionality and terminology because I'm not of that game. So while we started off as a quick and easy tool, we quickly got exposed from some of the more sophisticated market researchers who were asking us about some of this more sophisticated methodology, which I didn't even know what it was. But what we were fortunate enough to be able to do is bring on a lot of people from the market research establishment from the big legacy companies like Nielsen and Kantar and Ipsos and Mintel and all those great companies, we were able to recruit seasoned people from those companies to come on and fill in our weakness, so to speak. And I think coming out of that was a really great mix of folks like myself and our president, Avi Savar, who come from the advertising world, who know how to storytell, who know how about data visualization, who know about branding and marketing, the end consumer. And we mix that with a lot of people who really understand the practice and discipline of market research. And I think those two things combined is really the secret to our success and ultimately what makes us different. Well, let me ask you this. Did you anticipate Susie being brought to the test of kind of the research function within brand organizations? Or was your hypothesis that you could go directly to brands, brand managers, marketing managers, and they could leverage the platform, do their own research, if you will, not maybe as sophisticated, but- Democratize research. Exactly. It was really clear because I didn't even know the former existed. So my whole goal in building an agency was about the marketing and the brand manager world. So I was, you know, a problem for them to solve. As it turned out, since we are a market research and consumer insights tool, that function is largely controlled by the consumer insights function at organizations. And a quick aim evident that in order for us to scale, we needed to speak to the needs of the researchers in the organization, not the brand managers. And that made that shift to broaden out our talent base to people who spent their careers within those roles. Makes a lot of sense. And now as you've democratized research, you've obviously won the hearts and minds of traditional consumer insights professionals and researchers. Are you seeing the expansion and use of the platform to the original target that you had planned, brand managers and marketing managers? The way I look at expansion is more around use cases, right? Pillars of where research is used, you know, you have been used in early stages of innovation and research and development. Then once a product gets live and you're looking at the testing of ads and copy and creatives and things like that, ultimately, once the product gets in or service gets in consumers' hands, it's about consumer experience or CX, right? Consumer experience of it. And then, of course, across all four of those functions, you have both wall and quant and various different types of functionality and actions that can unlock insights from consumers. 
So our expansion is really about, we look at the total addressable market of research, both in the US and globally, and how can we build our feature set within Suzy as a platform that can address the need across that continuum, regardless of who the buyer is. So we're really focused on providing a solution to the problem. I think the reason that a problem still exists is that market research largely is still being done by services and agencies. And the issue with that is that there's a lack of technology, a lack of data. And then what happens for the buyer is that they don't gain the efficiencies of that. And they're spending too much time and too much money uncovering research that could be done a lot more efficiently. So when I look at the future growth area of Suzy, it's really to disintermediate the traditional market research agency and contemporize this industry, which is far behind, say, the advertising industry and other industries in terms of embracing digital transformation. Now, I hear what you're saying. I guess the question I have is there's a time and purpose for different stakeholders on the value chain, right? And so are you saying that Suzy is basically share shifting some of that research from traditional agencies to your platform and others like yours to get to, I guess, the questions faster, to get to the answers faster? Or are you suggesting that the market's just growing? The TAM is growing. The TAM is not growing. Search is largely flat, especially in recent years with economic slowdowns we've seen. If you look at Qualtrics, which is, say, a billion in revenue versus an $80 billion TAM, that means the largest software player is 180th of the market, right? The largest software player in advertising. Well, it's Google and Facebook. They're in 70% of the market as a duopoly. So you have so far to go as an industry to embrace technology. And I would argue digital transformation is much more appropriate in market research, or at least as much as it was in even advertising of linear models like TV that for some brands still make a lot of sense. So I think that this industry has been slow to adopt change. The early entrance into the space, SurveyMonkey and Qualtrics, they grew because they had first mover advantage. They were the first online market research tools. So for them, the idea was online market research in 2017, 2018, the enterprise was finally ready to adopt digital technology as a right and true form to conduct research. But we are still in the very early innings of that transformation happening. So I do not think that our growth is going to come from the industry growing, although an argument be made that the consumer insights function is going to become more powerful over time with the growth of AI and the growth of data driving decisions. Instead, our growth is going to come from us disintermediating the service layer to allow our customer to become more efficient. And to your point, ultimately get to insights and business decisions faster, which is really imperative right now. You said the industry's slow moving. What do you think the biggest impediment is to embrace this change? What do you see? It's just legacy thinking. If you look at financial services, if you look at real estate, if you look at healthcare, there's a lot of industries where it's like, when you go to your doctor's office, why do you still have to fill out a physical form in a lot of places? Well, it's because there is a sort of industrial complex in Aaron and other industries where the decision makers ultimately profit from things not changing, right? And I think ultimately, whether it's the legacy companies and providers in the industry that don't have technology and don't have management that understands where things are heading, pushing the clients and their tried and true clients to be held back, or frankly, it's a lot of client decision makers who are scared of change and who don't adopt it and still want to hold on to the way things were done. And this is not the first industry and the first time we've seen this throughout history. But ultimately, these businesses are going to be pressured to adopt at what we call the speed of culture. And they're going to have to move 
quickly. And when they do, they're going to have to seek out solutions that kind of can meet their changing needs. And that's where we think Susie fits in very well. Matt, do you think that the next generation of leaders are primed for this transformation? Are you seeing that transition between leadership and it's like a no-brainer because the next generation grew up digitally for the most part? Yeah, so the millennial generation, which has been spoke about ad nauseum, is the first to grow up with the internet in the household, right? The prior, which is generation I'm part of, Gen X, did not. So you have a lot of C-level decision makers at Fortune 500 companies that are Gen Xers but only being phased out in favor of millennials. And when millennials come into the C-suite and not soon thereafter, Gen Z, Gen Z was the first generation to grow up with the mobile device in the household, not alpha generation growing up with AI in the household, right? These generations are not going to stand for these legacy ways of things being done. And they're going to come in and expect that the solutions that they procure are going to be able to deliver things fast and be data-driven iterative. So I do think with the passage of time, as these millennials enter decision-making roles at companies, it's going to really fall very much in the favor of us and companies like us. That makes a lot of sense. I know even generationally, you can see that there's generations who don't even want to talk face-to-face, right? It's all done digitally, text, WhatsApp, whatever. You show me a Gen Z boy or girl who grew up with the phone as an appendage to their body, that wants to fill out a 55 question search. This is a generation that grew up looking on their phone in a kind of average of six seconds. You're telling me they talk about the same brand for 27 minutes? No way. And that's just one side of the equation. How about the buyer? Does the buyer really want to pour through a 70 page research report? No. But charts and graphs and visuals that can allow them to really understand what the story is so they can retell it to drive the business. So on all sides of this, there's so much room for, again, this to be evolved. And I don't think it has to be done at the behest of the core fundamentals of what research is. You still need great quality. You still need great models and methodology and statistics. But at the same time, it needs to be done in a way that fits better with how, you know, businesses need to move. Yeah, I also, I've said this before. I also think the type of people who conduct research, the requirement would be even greater to be able to link research to business objectives and business decisions versus collating research. It's really making the impact and driving decisions from the research, which I know we try to do now, but we're at the tip of the iceberg. I'm a little name names. I've talked to many CMOs because that's where I have relationships from my career. We say that there've been long periods of time where the brand managers who essentially own the brands and the P&Ls at large CPG and food and beverage companies and other industries, like trying to avoid and usurp research groups because they them down. And often the research that they get from these groups is dated. So I think if that doesn't tell you that this industry is in drastic need to change, I don't know what is. At the same time, insights professionals can really be empowered if they can serve health, if they can command the data to really be much more visible and powerful leaders at organizations, but they need the tools to empower them to do so. I agree. In those conversations that you had with CMOs, what do they do in terms of data if they don't get it from the consumer insights or research department? These are major decisions they're making. A lot of times those decisions are made by the hippo, which is the highest paid person's opinion. And there is no data. I I was working with a major power company who made a $15 million endorsement deal with a celebrity with zero data. They just, their daughter told them about it while they were driving them to school, the CMO. And they're like, oh, let's just do that. Because in the absence of having data, you go with your gut. You're going to go with your gut. Yeah. And you're willing to take the risk and the fall for that decision. 
these like huge controversies when companies roll out content or TV commercials where they answer, how could they do that? They didn't have any data to back it up. So they just quickly, they got in their echo chamber, they made that decision and, and the consumers, we see it happen all the time still. Totally agree. Okay, let's talk about AI. You've obviously focused, you guys have spent a lot of time thinking about AI and its role into your business and in the industry. Just give me your kind of high level perspective on how AI will impact our industry. Oh, it's going to impact our industry just as much as the internet itself did or the mobile device did. Ultimately, when it comes to the speed and power of processing data and inputs to output kind of core summaries, which could drive decisions, that middle layer of when you collect research and then basically you're taking that research and analyzing it and it's spitting out summaries, conclusions, directions, that's where AI is going to really become a core disruptor. Really, it's going to put a lot more power with companies who have proprietary data or this. Essentially, the use of AI is going to be ubiquitous. Anybody can use ChatGPT right now, right? Anybody can use the myriad to allow you to better analyze data or pump out visualizations. But if you can actually get on the input a proprietary data source and get it with some type of efficiency, well, that's how you're going to differentiate yourselves. And in the use of these AI tools, we're going to make you more powerful and more differentiated. Yeah, I agree. I think the data is such a critical component. I also think privacy, obviously, with ChatGPT is critical and being responsible and ethical about what you put in there. There's a lot of learning and education around that. I remember when e-commerce first came onto the scene, everyone's like, there's no way I'm going to put my credit card with Amazon or an e-commerce company because everyone's going to steal it. And you know what? Humans got over it. And now the social security numbers and all sorts of things. I think that there's going to be the firewalls put up by these platforms where you know and you don't have to worry that your data is going to be shared with other companies. And I think that's a very much an AI 1.0 concern and not going to be because it's solvable with technology. It is. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with you totally. Let's talk about synthetic sample. I know it's something that you talked about and it felt like when you were speaking about it, you were waiting for demand signals from clients to say, yes, I'm ready to explore synthetic sample. What's your view on the role of synthetic sample playing into the future? I think we're very, we're a long way away from business decision makers relying on the input of synthetic sample to drive poor business decisions. I just think that there's not a lot of intuition with synthetic sample. A lot of it is an echo chamber of everything else that's out there. And research is forward looking in terms of where things are going, not where things are. So if you think about the world we live in today, it's a scary world. There's a lot of macroeconomic strife going on. There's things happening socially, which consumers are experiencing and their children are experiencing, which shape their worldview and shape how they look at businesses and brands. Synthetic sample can't capture that because it's not a living world. That being said, it will there be used for synthetic sample? Definitely. Like we look at the ability to test how questions and surveys are written to eliminate bias. And if you can test that. So that example, that's a good example of a way to use that to make researchers more efficient in the way to conduct research and a multitude of other ways that it can be used, which I'm not going to get into detail on because we're building. But I think there's a lot of benefit, but I don't think the benefit anytime soon is going to replace human sample. It's not going to give you wall either. It's not going to really help you dig into the why behind the what. And there's a lot of reasons why. Five years from now, who knows? The reality is that, think about it, if researchers can trust synthetic sample, that means humans can trust synthetic doctors or synthetic psychologists or synthetic teachers 
to that point, we're going to be in a completely new world where the input of any professional arguably would also be questioned. It goes far beyond research. Totally agree. It's a universal societal question. And I don't really know if anybody knows that answer yet. I think we're just continuing to see how things evolve. Yeah, I think for us as a CEO, I'm trying to make sure that we are on the cutting edge, but that can also go beyond if you get to the bleeding edge where you're pushing out. Because we work with Fortune 500 companies, there's obviously a very risk-averse approach to AI right now for good reason. We don't want them to dive off the edge of the cliff just so they could do something that's edgy. But we need to innovate and be a leader in our space. So that's sort of a delicate balance that we play as a later stage startup, try to push our clients, but not push them too far to the establishment, so to speak. It's a fine balance. To your point, you don't want to be on the bleeding edge, but you also don't want to not be perceived as innovating and keeping up with the current trends. That's right. So what does the future of Suzy look like? You guys have been doing this for a while. A question for you, are you mainly focused in the U.S. or do you work globally? The majority of our employees in the U.S., the majority of our clients is in the U.S. We do have international expansion plans for 2024. And it's the first time I'm saying that publicly. We were very intentional First of all, 60% plus of the addressable market research is in the U.S., though relatively small as a percentage of that entire market that to run here. That being said, as we go further upstream, a lot of our customers do want us to have a global presence and our product is global, but we don't have a physical presence globally, meaning we can address global sample, but we don't have individuals, but that's going to change next year. So global is obviously a big part of our expansion. Becoming more of a platform and an ecosystem is a big part of their expansion. So if you look at the growth of most SaaS and software companies, they ultimately become ecosystems, not walled gardens, where they speak to other platforms, whether it's on the inputs of data or any output of data and, and reports. We want Suzy to be part of the pipes of these organizations and that allows Suzy to talk to other platforms that these companies have across CRM, across digital, across finance even. So that's a big part of our product development roadmaps. We also just have an incredible roster of clients that are still getting comfortable with shifting more and more of the research to a company called Suzy, which three years ago, we've been around for five years, which in some ways seems like a long time, but in other ways is really just, we are the youngest company of any of our competitors at our stage of research. Appy or Toluna, those companies around far longer than us and or Qualtrics or SurveyMonkey. So we're still building our brand and brand matters so much in research that we really want to keep adding value, becoming a, a voice of innovation and in, in the industry. And over time, as more and more of these brands trust Suzy and our product continues to deliver, we're just going to grow through the war of attrition by continuing to be there and continuing to be a trusted partner. That sounds exciting. Speaking brand is so important. Just give us a little background on the name, Suzy. Oh, my favorite band of all time is a band called Fish. We knew we had to kind of pivot CrowdTap, which as I mentioned earlier, was a software company and spun out of my agency because CrowdTap had been an influencer platform and it had too much knowledge in the industry as an influencer platform. So we had to kind of rebrand it because it was typecast. So we ended up keeping CrowdTap as a consumer brand, but we had to come up with a new brand for the B2B world. And I was at one of their concerts at Madison Square Garden with a friend of mine and they played a song called Susie Greenberg. And a light bulb went in my head, let's call it Susie, because at that time I knew this AI wave was coming and that we were going to be talking to our technology. There's already Siri and Alexa and these tools. So I said, if the name is differentiated in the industry. And thankfully I went back that night and went online and saw that if you typed in Susie into Google, there was no other companies that came up. It was just one Korean pop star that came up. It's ownable from a business perspective and we're able to the URL and now 
that's just what we are. And it makes sense that what we are that. So ultimately it just shows it doesn't matter what the name is. It just has to be easily remembered and truly ownable. And then you can build the brand behind it. And that's what we've been able to do. I love that story. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly enjoyed speaking with you and let's continue to keep in touch. I can't wait to hear the pod. Talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Data Gurus podcast brought to you by Infinity Squared. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com.